Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're discussing issues in the Christian private schools. So we're having Anna Simmers back on the show with a couple new people, friends of hers that are working with her, who are also uh, alumni of the school up in Alaska, to hear directly from them and also talk about how this problem with, with abuse and racism in Christian schools is old and widespread. So you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Anna Simmers. <clears throat> I went to Anchorage Christian School in Anchorage, Alaska um, throughout my high school years. I then went to West Point. I graduated in 2013. I was active duty in the Army as a logistics officer for about seven years. Um, and now I work in supply chain in a corporate leadership program for GE Aviation. And if you listen to uh, three episodes ago, when we talked, to, uh, we had Anna on, you are on there too, with some other guests, and we're just relating the stories about your past. So she should sound familiar to our regular listeners. My name is Melina Springer. I'm Anna's older sister. Um, so I also graduated from Anchorage Christian School in Anchorage, Alaska, although I only attended there for, for one year of my high school career. I then went on to go to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, got my master's from University of Louisville in urban planning, and I am now um, an urban planner um, in the Houston area, but I actually work for a development firm in Nashville. Okay. Nice. And I was, uh, we were talking earlier, my family's all from Houston. So my parents grew up there, I met there, um, went to school there, University of Houston, and we used to go back there every year in the winter and the summer for vacation. It's much, much nicer in the winter than in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my name is Ariane Audette. I went to Anchorage Christian Schools from sixth grade all the way until graduating high school in 2013. Uh, from there, I went to the University of Alaska. I won Miss Alaska USA in 2016. And then after that, I continued my education at Portland State University. And I'm currently studying to be a medical doctor uh, still here in Portland. Okay, so you guys have been uh, pretty successful. And I think that's maybe a misconception since we're talking about what we will be talking about abuse is the misconception that you can tell when people have had traumatic events in their past or you can tell when they've been abused by leadership. And in reality, some people actually just overcome it. And so, so it's, we have to be careful about judging people based on what we think uh, they would look like or should behave. And, what, and that's why I want to have you guys on here to instead of assuming things, we actually listen to people who've experienced it and get basically eyewitness accounts and firsthand accounts. And that teaches everybody to, um, we can anticipate it, we can recognize it when it happens, and we can let um, people actually speak for themselves and not assume that we know what's going on. So you guys were there. Um, and while you were there, so how does the school work? Is there's a principal of the school and then, but it's under the church, correct? Yeah. Melina, you want to go into kind of how the school runs and how the church runs and basically who's accountable to whom? 
Yeah. Um, so they have a preschool, elementary school, junior high, and a high school, um, and they're all affiliated with the church as well. So we have a principal and also um, someone who is over the entire school. So the high school has its own principal, but then there's also someone who is over the entire school. So elementary school, junior high, and high school. Um, and they pretty much wind up answering also to the the pastor of the church. Um, so really the way it's run is when you're there in high school, if you, let's say you were to have an issue, um, you would then go meet with the school leaders leadership. Um, and that would just be the high school leadership, but they are also answering to the, the church leadership as well. So that would mean that the pastor of the church essentially is the boss of the school. Right. Right. So, um, I believe they claim that it's not that way, but that at least seemed to be how it was run when I was in attendance. Yeah, and from what I know about just looking at it and also the culture that they're in, it's pretty standard for the school to be under the umbrella of the church. So that means that the man who is is sort of leading this whole operation would be the pastor of Anchorage uh, Anchorage Baptist Temple, and his name is uh, Jerry Prevo. So I I wasn't familiar with Jerry Prevo until I was talking to Anna, but once I looked into him, it turns out a lot of people are familiar with him. He, he's he's from Alaska, but he's got a national influence and has been in national news most recently as being uh, as replacing Jerry Falwell Jr as the interim president of Liberty University. So just so our listeners know, Liberty University is the largest Christian university in, a, in the world. I think they have something like 100,000 students. So it's been in the news a lot because of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s support of Donald Trump. And Jerry Falwell Jr. doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with Christian culture in any way. So he got fired because of his bad behavior and everyone seemed to applaud it. And with Jerry Prevo coming in, it was sort of like, okay, we got a fresh start. Things are going to go back to normal. Jerry fall jr. We never really liked him. Um, now we're getting a pastor in here. Who's got a long reputation. And so things are going to get better. And that was kind of the narrative I heard. And so I just assumed, okay, whatever. He's just a normal pastor. And then talking to, to you, Anna, when his name came up, it was not in the same light as what has been put across the news. So that's what I want to talk about today with you guys, because you were there. What kind of leader is Jerry Prevo? And is he sort of this radical person that, you know, because sometimes you have these people, it's like, well, that's not normal. That's just one person. Is that who the, he is? Or is he sort of a typical um, evangelical leader? And if he is typical, then that's that tells us something about the rest of um, his followers and people who are adjacent to him, specifically in reference to the institutions they create and lead. So with Jerry Prevo leading Liberty for the moment, which way is he going to take that school? Is he going to take it the same way as the school he ran in Alaska? And if so, what's that look like? So, Anna, what, what's your take on Jerry? Mr. Jerry, brother Jerry, whatever you want to call him. So one of the one of the key things I I want to emphasize is that Jerry Falwell Sr. was a mentor to Jerry Prevo. They actually both 
have a long, long history together. So it, it was of no shock to anyone who's familiar with ABT and ACS, Anchorage Baptist Temple and Anchorage Christian School, the, its, its school affiliate, that Jerry Prevo was chosen to be the interim president because his ties with the Falwell family are so tight. Okay. Whenever the United States had decided to be really harsh with the South African government until they would end apartheid, Jerry Falwell Sr. and Jerry Prevo went together to South Africa, met with leaders there and came back and told the Christian evangelical voters that they should support the South African government because black people there liked apartheid. There's plenty of news articles covering it. They were not ashamed of holding that stance at all. Yeah. After you told me about that, I, I looked into it because white Christians never cease to surprise me with where they'll go. So for our listeners, um, apartheid would be South Africa's version of segregation. So South Africa was colonized in the 1800s, I believe, by the Dutch. So before the Dutch showed up, everyone in South Africa was um, black. Then the Dutch showed up with with better guns, basically, and, and more willingness to kill people, took over South Africa and colonized it. And then it, it, in the modern century, and starting in 1940s, they formally made laws that that allowed the minority whites, so whites are minority in South Africa, to become in charge of the whole country. So I don't know what the percentage was. I'm thinking it's I don't know. It's a, it's a whites are a minority, and yet they were the ones who got to vote, who got to run the countries. It could. It's basically what we saw in America, but reversed. So in America, you have Jim Crow with segregation, but African Americans were a minority in America. In South Africa, it was reversed. South or Africans were or South, original South Africans were the majority, which meant in order to keep segregation in place and create white dominance, it was a much harsher regime. They had to be much more violent, much more overt, much more explicit uh, in this sort of racism. Uh, the What's the late night show's host? Trevor Noah? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah so Trevor Noah's from South Africa. And if you listen to him, he'll talk about what it was like growing up uh, in a mixed family. And it, it's really bad. So the leader of this, the president uh, of South Africa, was a white man, of course. And... He was in charge of, of implementing this. He was president for decades and decades. And he actually got implicated in bombing some, some people that disagreed with him. And he hated um, Desmond Tutu. He, he wouldn't release Nelson Mandela from prison. So if anybody's seen the movie Invictus, Nelson Mandela is the hero for fighting for freedom. The guy he's fighting against was the president. So... During this regime, um, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, America becomes aware of it and starts protesting it and calling on Americans to remove their money from South Africa until they would get rid of apartheid, the segregation. And this is what you're talking about, Anna. So in, I think it was in the 80s, the president of South Africa gets up. He's under a lot of pressure. And in 1985, I believe, he makes a speech that says he will not change anything. He will not release Nelson Mandela from president. He will not end segregation. I think it was a week later, Jerry Falwell, Jerry Prevo, and some other Christians go to South Africa 
and come back and like you're saying, Anna, endorse this guy. They endorse that presidency. And I think that's significant given the history of the Falwell legacy. And this, I think this is why Christian school is struggling with this, with this racism, because I think it's built in. Absolutely. Um, he had, Jerry Falwell Sr. had started the Moral Majority, which was this major prominent political organization that was all, you know, Christian, right-wing, Republican kind of politics. And so he was very powerful politically. And Jerry Prevo kind of took on that same stance with when it comes to Alaska politics. Um, when it, I mean, when we were in high school, they would, our coaches would have us with shirts that would say Prevo's kids and pickets on the street corners saying drill baby drill or um, don't let men in women's restrooms or say no to abortion or, you know, hate God hates the sin of homosexuality, but loves the sinner. So very, a lot of political involvement. Right. So he had people from his church or school picketing from the school, from, from the, the school, school. The, the children. We would, I mean, it was, I mean, how many times did we do that, Melina? I don't even know. But it was I very- would also like to point out that it we were not supposed to, like it was a fundraiser for us, but I actually got in trouble once because somebody pulled up on the side of the road while we were out there with these pickets and said like, are you guys getting paid to do this? And I was like, yeah, it's a fundraiser. And because of that, we didn't get the money that we were supposed to be making. So it was supposed to be secretive. Like I got in trouble by my coach for letting people know that we were getting paid to support that stance. So it was something that the school was definitely doing a political fundraiser or political protest um, as fundraisers. So they had the student athletes out there trying to make money by supporting their political goals. Like I said, I I never cease to be surprised the links people go. So they were using Christian school kids to promote drilling, oil drilling. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. And what I found, just the news articles I read about Jerry Prevo, that was pretty normal. I think, Anna, you said that if, you, if you're if you a politician in, in Anchorage, you would go to his church? Oh, absolutely. We had um, candidate Sundays where all the candidates for state positions um, and like Senate seats, you know, in, in Congress, they would come and basically pander to Prevo, talk to his his constituents and you had to go through him if you wanted to be elected to a Republican position. Absolutely. You had to come through him. So he was as much a political uh, power player as a, as a pastor. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a, a political force. And that's why the, everything with Jerry Falwell and, and Prevo is so alike because they're basically the same type of person, the same type of leader. And when it comes to racism and how that plays out, Jerry Falwell Sr. is on the record, on video. He did an interview, and when he was asked on how he felt about Martin Luther King Jr. and the good he was doing for America in terms of equality and anti-racism, he dismissed the good things that Martin Luther King Jr. had done and said that he doesn't believe he's going to be historically deemed a great man because he had Marxist views. Hmm. So just like he and a lot of right-wing Christians will 
will easily dismiss somebody and say it's because they're a Marxist and they're so worried more about the politic the politics of a person versus the actions they've taken and the good they've done for the world. Jerry Prevo is that same type of person. You will get written off as a leftist, as a God hater, as a, you know, liberal snowflake type person. All of the politics gets enmeshed with the Christianity. You cannot separate them. They view their, their view of Christianity goes through a political filter 100%. And when it comes to conservative right-wing ideals in this country, that often is tinged with racism, quite often, sadly. And for us, it came in different forms from Jerry Prevo. Mm -hmm. He came from Kentucky and started his church and he started a, a bus system where he would send a fleet of buses out to <clears> the <throat> poorer areas of Anchorage and bring those kids in, most Hispanic, Samoan, uh, native Alaskan and black. And those kids would be brought in through the back of the church building. All of their Sunday school classes were in the back of the church building and they would leave from the back of the church building. And if they were ever brought into the main auditorium to see a guest speaker or anything like that, or to be paraded in front of TV cameras so that everyone at ABT can can see the, the good work of outreach that ABT is doing, they would be segregated up in the balcony apart from everyone else with adults spotted throughout making sure that they don't misbehave. That was common. They were to this day called the bus kids. Me and Ariane went up there this summer and saw the bus kids office. They label them the bus kids and refer to them as bus kids. And Melina and myself, we were bus kids growing up. And Ariane can kind of talk to you about how that made, how that impacted white children and their views of, of minorities too. You want to talk about that, Ariane? Yeah, it was just a really interesting way to grow up when you're a young child and you see um, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different races just very clearly being treated differently than you. You know, they were literally like roped off in a corner of the auditorium and not allowed to sit with the regular church kids where like their parents went to church. And I never went to church at ABT like with my family, but I was best friends with Jerry Prevo's granddaughter because she was the same age as me. She was in my class. And so I would go to church with her a lot or with my other friends. And I saw this separation and I was always so confused by it. But then also as you grow up in it and you get older, you start to think, oh, like they are different from me. Like um they're dangerous i should be scared of them you know and you grow up with that mindset without even thinking about it and then you go out into the real world as an adult and you realize that's not normal at all yeah yeah um so people may say well this is you know you're reading into it but what we see with with this is a pattern that goes back well, getting close to 100 years now with this specific branch of, of Christianity. In the 40s, in the 50s, they try to desegregate public schools. And Jerry Falwell 
probably came first famous first because he started Lynchburg Baptist Academy uh, in order to give white kids a school to go to where they wouldn't have to be desegregated. So Lynchburg Baptist Academy starts in 1967, specifically designed so Jerry Falwell can tell his white church members, send your kids here and they won't have to go to school with uh, non-white or any black kids. Now, that's the Falwell legacy. And some people say, well, that's a long time ago. Why are you saying, you know, why are you bringing that up now? Well, then you go forward to 1985, where Jerry Falwell and now Jerry Prevo go to South Africa, where segregation still exists, and supports the government. So it wasn't like, well, that was civil rights. We've all grown since then. These men have not grown since then. They continue to support segregation. Now you fast forward to the 2000s, and you see the same thing. Minorities being segregated, racism being condoned. And Jerry Prevo is right there leading it. And so it seems like that's what you guys are saying. It's like, you don't need to know the history to see the results. And I think for the rest of us, we have to learn that this problem hasn't gone away just because some laws were passed or, and it's funny, Jerry, or, uh, Jerry Prevo said, he goes, I'm not for segregation. I'm not for apartheid. We should end it, but we should keep the people in charge who are in charge now. So in other words, let's get rid of segregation, but keep the people who created and maintain segregation. And Anna, when I was talking to you, that seems to be what they're doing now. They're like, well, we'll we're against abuse. We're against racism, but we're not going to hold anybody accountable for it. All the same leaders get to stay. Absolutely. And so Ron Hoffman took over two years ago whenever Jerry Prevo retired. Um and he has put, as Melina said, there's one person in charge of the entire school. Well, that's Ron Hoffman's son, Calvin Hoffman. His daughters and their husbands are all the associate pastors. And all the other associate pastors and leadership positions are people who grew up, for the most part, through that school and through that church. There's no outside entities that have any say or any impact on anything that's going on. And Ron Hoffman is the final say in what goes on at that school, in what goes on at that church, both. And there's no one he has to answer to. And Melina can kind of go in on how that's dangerous because of what Ron Hoffman has done in the past to Black student athletes when he was a coach and a youth pastor and how accountability or the lack thereof has gone on as well. Yeah, so I know that we had said we weren't going to share personal stories, but I'm going to kind of go into one just to kind of because it exemplifies it perfectly. Um, but back when um, now pa Pastor Hoffman was a youth pastor there and also the high school boys basketball coach, he coached my um, all three of my younger brothers. Um, and there was an incident um, where he physically <laughs> assaulted one of his players. Uh, and one of my brothers complained, um, took it to the school office. My parents also both complained. Um, and in retaliation, my brother was then removed from the basketball team. Um, and he went to the school leadership, you know, was like, okay, I have a problem with my coach. I need to go to my coach. That didn't work. Okay. I'll go to the school leadership. We'll discuss it. Um, and so all they told him was go to the coach. If nothing happens, I'm sorry, pretty much. Um, and the school actually did try to remove Hoffman from the coaching position. But when they tried to remove him, he pretty much was like, no, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. You can't fire me. 
um, they said, okay, we're not going to pay you. And he was like, okay, I'm still going to coach. So really it, it was at the point where he is a pastor in the church, although he was just a youth pastor, but still he was a pastor in ABT. ABT runs ACS. So it was a situation where the school's hands were tied. They wanted to remove him. They actually, in that instance, were trying to do the right thing, but their hands were tied because ABT, their, you know, the organization that funds them was not allowing for Hoffman to be removed. So that's kind of where you run into the issue where the pastor running the entire church is actually then running the school. So even if the school does want to make changes, does want to you know, make life better for students, look out for the students. It seems as though you're just hitting a wall when the person running the entire ship doesn't want to make any changes. And the same way that Jerry Prevo protected Ron Hoffman whenever he was accused of abusing kids, because that was one instance. There were two more instances where he physically assaulted Black student athletes and complaints were made. Jerry Prevo is the one who stopped him from being fired. And Ron Hoffman knew he was protected. Well, that's continued on. There's a coach we mentioned be, uh, in, when we talked to you before, Darren Powers, who was, a, who was actually raised for quite, a, quite a, a little portion of his life by Ron Hoffman, who was accused by multiple students for abusive behavior. In fact, he physically put his hand on my brother's neck in front of an entire track meet of students, public and private. And he wasn't fired because he was protected. And there were also allegations most recently, just last year, of a, of a coach who the athletic director wanted to get rid of. But Ron Hoffman, the pastor of the church, not directly connected to the school, really, but he protected him. So you run into the same issue. The way Jerry Prevo ran things is the same way Ron Hoffman is running things. Yeah, yeah. and I just want to add that Darren Powers is still friends with Ron Hoffman to this day. Like this previous summer, they were commercial fishing together. Like Darren Powers has always been family to Ron Hoffman um, in that sort of way. And even after all of the um, allegations at the church and school that led to Darren Powers being let go and all of the abuse and sketchy behavior, all of the things that went down, this last summer, they're still best buddies fishing together in Alaska. Yeah, it's I think the I'm seeing a pattern here. With. Racism and abuse. The all of these pastors and all these leaders would say that it's wrong, right? They would come publicly and say we're, we're against racism, we're against segregation, we're against abuse. But what they reveal is they don't think it's that important. So. Jerry Falwell will say, and, and Jerry Prevo will say, segregation is bad, but not bad enough where we can't support South Africa. So we still want to support the white leaders in South Africa, even though they have violent, murderous, criminal activity. Then they'll come back and they'll say, we're against abuse and we're against racism in our school, but not enough to fire anybody over it, not enough to break friendships, not enough to do anything. Nobody's going to be held accountable. And th I think it's a problem all across America. Everyone's going to say, well, I'm against racism. What, when are you going to be enough against racism to actually remove people from leadership over it? Jerry Falwell Sr. should have been removed from leadership in the 60s when he supported segregation. If you, if you start a school for whites only, 
you can be a church member, but you can't be a pastor. If you then support apartheid in the 80s, you can be a member of a church, but you can't be the pastor. And yet none of this is happening. And now we come 40, 50 years later, and these leaders know about the problem, give verbal opposition, but nobody's going to be removed until it's a PR problem. So, so the, the, the people that were fired only fired because it was a PR issue, not because they actually took it seriously enough to fix the problem. And so I see a, a lot of pastors and, and I've had a lot of people comment on our episode before about, you know, Anna and other people that came on. They're really moved by the stories and it's terrible, which is great. But the real question is, when are we going to somehow remove these people from leadership? Or they're just going to let their son become the pastor who's going to perpetuate it. And then his son's going to become the pastor because that's what we've got here. We've got like three generations of abusers. And now the, the head abuser, Jerry Prevo, is in charge of a seminary. And what's he teaching there? He's teaching them to be not, not proponents of segregation, but to be okay enough with it. To be like, well, you know, we'll just call them bus kids now. And, and they can be in the building. They just have to sit in the balcony. And so that's that's just and you guys can weigh in on that. But I think that's what we see here is that they don't take it seriously enough to actually remove anybody who's, who's participant in it. Well, I think and Anna and Ariane can kind of vouch for this as well. But in our conversations with the current church and school leadership, we just keep being told that it's just pretty much it's an us problem. Like we just need to forgive They've addressed the problem and that they feel guilty about it and they've repented for it, but we need to forgive. And so, you know, now we are in the wrong for being open and public about it. We should have just gone to them and asked for their forgiveness or they asked for our, our forgiveness. And since we are not forgiving, we are now the ones in the wrong. So they can stay in the positions they're in because it was a past sin. Um, and even if they never admit that a sin took place, you know, they repented in their hearts and it's over and we kind of just need to drop it. So I think that's kind of how they're approaching this is that they are they are no longer in the wrong. They aren't doing that anymore. So now it's our sin because we have we have not forgiven. There's this uh, there's this independence. That's almost dangerous when it comes to especially fundamental Baptist institutions. Uh, Melina was talking with Ron Hoffman, her pastor and her husband and me. We all did a, a Zoom call together kind of in the beginning of when all of this stuff was, when all these stories were coming out and, you know, problems were being exposed, especially Ron Hoffman's own past was being exposed. And of course he was quite upset about that. And on this call with him, when we were addressing, hey, these are the issues um, and he was saying, you guys need to, you know, follow, he kept saying Matthew 18, bring it to the church. If you have a problem, you keep it in the church. And well, a lot of the people that you committed abuses to aren't even in the church. You've driven them away from the church. So when a problem is bigger than just the church and the impact has been bigger than just the church, then we're going to expose it to the Christian body as a whole, because you guys have refused to, to fix this in the past. And, and we, we said, we have brought it to the church and he yelled and Melina can back me on this. He yelled, I am the church. 
I'll fix it. He yelled that, knowing another pastor was on the line and three other adults. There's this sense of ownership of a church body that the head pastors of Anchorage Baptist Temple have. Just how I mentioned, we wore t-shirts as kids that said Prevost kids. When we would go around selling chocolates and doing other fundraisers and stuff for our school teams, when we'd knock on the door, people would say, oh, ABT, Prevost Church? Nah, I don't want to have anything to do with that man. It was more him than Jesus. If you went to ABT, you were with Prevo. It wasn't about Jesus so much as you were with this pre- with Prevo and this political force, and these were your values. Yeah, it's it's a re- it's keeps on coming up because I think it's all about power. I think the entire conservative Christian movement, especially fundamentalism, is centered on power. So racism, abuse are not going to be dealt with because power is the key. So we're not, so Ron, I mean, so Ron Hoffman's Jerry Prevo, Jerry Falwell, no one's going to remove them over racism because they want them there for their power. So when the pastor is the church, when he controls the church, he has all the power and the people around him support him. So Jerry Falwell's, he's not going to condemn South Africa because he had a political agenda that connected him to South Africa. South Africa was an ally against Russia. And so they were willing, Jerry Prevo, Jerry Falwell, that were willing to throw every single one of the millions of black people in South Africa under the bus so they could oppose the political force in Russia. And, and what, what you guys are saying about Jerry Prevo, he does the same thing in Alaska. He's, got, he, he's willing to throw the children in his own school under the bus in order to get his political power um, system going. And then with the new people. So this is why if you don't hold people accountable, it doesn't end. They just keep power. And if you if you put bad people in power, they don't just get to say, I'm sorry, something happened in the past. Uh, You need to be the Christian and forgive. Well, some things you don't just move on from. We all have standards. If Jerry Prevo was a communist, you know, he'd be removed in about three seconds. But if he's a racist, well, that was the past. If you're a child abuser, as long as no one says anything about it and you still win games or protect the image, then you're, you're in place. So and this is what I like what you're doing, Anna, and you guys coming on here. You're we're trying to shift the narrative back to what's important, which is protecting people from being hurt and empowering individuals and not from protecting people in power. So when people in power get confronted their 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 first in- instinct is to protect themselves, protect their power. And if they're spiritual leaders, they'll use every tool they have. So one tool is to say, well, God wants you to let this go. God wants you to help me cover up this sin. And they can couch it in terms of you need to forgive or you need to go to them privately or so on and so forth. But the Bible specifically says rebuke an elder openly so that all may fear. So when is someone going to rebuke Jerry Prevo openly, Ron Hoffman, and whoever else is out there abusing people openly so that all may fear? And what I can tell from your guys' stories, no one's afraid up there because they control everything. And then if they if it gets so bad, they'll quietly move them off. Um, so th- there's no just forgive and move on. 
forgiving and moving on is for little stuff. Like I, I said an unkind word to you one time. It's not for we systemically and for decades marginalize whole groups of people. We have people who are in our staff who are abusing others. That's not just forgive and move on. That's repent, get a new job. And for everyone listening, it's our job not to follow these people. If we follow and we continue to support, keep the traditions of, then we are enabling abuse. And we need to recognize that when the victims speak out, they're revealing something about the whole system. It didn't happen one time. There's a system here and people, people speaking out are saying there's a whole system and you can't just fix the problem here. You got to dismantle the system. What kind of system allows Jerry Falwell to create a segregationist academy, support a segregationist government, continue with his with his followers creating and perpetuating segregationist policies and abusive policies? At what point do you just say we're done with this? We're done with the whole system, whatever the theology is, whatever the Baptist distinctives are, if it's if it's producing this, we got to get rid of it. Instead of just trying to put bandages on things. Anyway, that was my rant on that. I I think it's spot on. And and honestly, that's why, you know, we really wanted to address this. Uh, last summer when we started getting, getting stories in from people and dealing with the leadership at Anchorage Baptist Temple and realizing there was no interest at all to make true changes in leadership or in, you know, longstanding policy. Um, that's when we realized, okay, we need to get together and form an organization that can cause pressure from the outside to maybe cause some changes. So we've started the the Black Sheep Initiative is is a nonprofit we're starting to support that. And we did a lot of community outreach. We've reached out to more than 50 community and political leaders in, in the state of Alaska. Uh, me and Ariane went up there this summer and we met with uh, different high schools, um, different politicians, and, and some big big hitters in the community, exposing the stories and, and letting them know what's going on with minority students and at Anchorage Christian School and even what what white students are being taught in their history class about the founding fathers and Black impact on, on the United States and a lot of white supremacist kind of doctrines. And we we've made a lot of progress, but like you've mentioned, it's a huge fight because it, it really is a very strong movement that keys into people's religious beliefs and intermixes it with their political beliefs. And those are the two hugest shapers in a lot of what people are in most instances. And they're so interwoven and interconnected that any kind of criticism of those feels really personal to people like you're attacking who they are as a person. So it's a, it's a big fight and, and we're willing to take it on, but it's, yeah. it's definitely heavy. Yeah. I, you're absolutely right about the political Jerry Priva was just at at Trump's Rose garden meeting where everyone got infected. So Jerry Priva was at that meeting at the white house. What was he doing there? What business did he have at the white house? Unless you look at the history and you're right. It's, it's people tying it's, it's people using religion to further politics. And once you do that, you've, you've stopped being a Christian 
and now you're just a political uh, figure. And so what you're trying to do with Black Sheep Initiative, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's focusing on Christian schools, correct? Yeah, Christian and, and other private schools. There's just yeah. not the same protections that public school students get from racism. Private schools are fraught with this. And what we found through what we were doing was that other private Christian schools, such like Grace Christian School in, in the state of Alaska, in the city of Anchorage, and Monroe Catholic, they dealt with a lot of the same issues. And when we reached out, we saw that alumni from private schools, not only Christian, but private schools in general across the nation, were dealing with a lot of the same things. And there's just nobody who's dedicated to fight this fight and protect these kids. I guess because people think, oh, private school kids, well off, who cares? Well, there's kids who are there on scholarship. There's kids who whose parents are going broke just to make sure that their kids get a private school education, like my parents. Um, so it shouldn't just be dismissed as a, you know, high class yeah. kind of person problem. It's really not. These minority kids need protections. And the white kids in these private schools deserve a true education of American history, not the whitewashed found the founding fathers were these perfect saints or black history figures are like Martin Luther King Jr. and George Washington Carver. And that's it. They deserve the true history of America and not yeah. the whitewashed version of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what people have to realize is what you're exposing is not a, it's not a recent problem. It's the reason Christian schools exist. Now, I know it's going to make some of our listeners mad because some of them work in Christian schools. The reason Christian schools exist is because white Christians wanted a place where they could continue their white values without pressure. So they started in the 50s and 60s after, after desegregation so they could protect their way of life. And now what we see is the same protection exists. The more majority was started to protect white Christians from government intrusion. Well, the government intrusion was, hey, you can't treat people this way. And so now we see the same uh, lack of protection. Th these white schools are being protected. You're going to get the most racist history in Christian schools. I know. I've seen it. I've seen the textbooks. The most racist, racist version of America is taught in Christian schools. And that's because there's no oversight. There's no protection. They were started as a way to avoid accountability. And they continue as a way to avoid accountability. And now they're they're building their schools off the backs of minorities. We have I have personal I've, I've taught in these schools. They they I would say in some ways they prey on minorities who are looking for a private education so their kids can succeed. And so they appeal to them through sports or through just the, the idea of a private education. They bring them in and then they teach them that white people are better. By teaching them that the best theologians are these white men who cares if they own slaves or they were open segregationist or, or worse in some cases. So we have to hold white schools account, uh, Christian schools accountable, like they've never been held accountable. And so what you're doing with black sheep initiative is absolutely what needs to happen. And I hope our listeners look you up. You, I think you're on Instagram right now. Yeah. And we also have a website, blacksheepinitiative.org, okay. where you can go, you can see what we're about. You can see what we're trying to accomplish, what we've done already and, and donate. You can contact us if you want to donate time. We have so many projects and we need so much help with so many different things. So any, any assistance, financial or time, 
we, yeah. we would greatly appreciate. The fact is, these leaders like Jerry Prevo are not going to be held accountable for the system. In fact, from what I can tell, he just keeps on getting promoted more. So he hasn't changed. And now he's in charge of the largest seminary in the world. Uh, so you can't work inside the uh, institution that's designed to protect people like Jerry Prevo. It's designed to protect him. He, he helped build it. Jerry Falwell helped build it. You can go back to all the Christians in the early uh, part of America. So it's designed to protect them. So the institution is not going to fix it. So you need outside sources of people like Jesus. Jesus was an outsider who confronted the establishment for abuses. So I think what you guys are doing with Black Sheep Initiative is exactly what Jesus would do. He's, he's confronting abusive behavior uh, from the outside because insiders won't do it. Uh, which means if we want to be a part of that, if we want to do the same thing Jesus did, and be persecuted like Jesus did, uh, then we need to back uh, the work you're doing. So that means you have this sort of social media support, right? Where it hashtags, hashtag, hashtag activism, which is good. But the real support comes from time and money. So if, if you're listening to this and you say, I want to stop abuse, I want to stop uh, racism. Great. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm not a racist. That doesn't help anybody in Christian schools. That doesn't help them protect from their teachers or their, their pastors. We got to go out and do something about it. So we need to give money. We need to volunteer time. We need to be vocal. We need to use whatever authority and power we have to create a new system that lifts people up, that empowers people, that takes the marginalized who've been oppressed for hundreds of years and restores them to equality. So uh, Black Sheep Initiative you can find it on Instagram, website. I'm sure there's ways to give on there, Anna. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the temptation is to do just enough to make the problem go away. Right? Just enough. We'll desegregate schools so we never have to talk about racism again. Um, but that doesn't work. We've got to get the root. We've got to pull the root out. And that's, that's going to be done by people who are not in charge right now. The people in charge right now haven't been able to fix it and they're not going to be able to fix it. So uh, you guys coming on here, you guys are the leaders in this movement. You're young. Um, you're not corrupted by power. Uh, you've been marginalized. You've been abused. And so now you're in a position to actually lead forward and take in a different direction. So I'm, I'm glad we got connected. And I hope that, that you guys... Um, get support. And, and I, I think you'll make a difference. You'll make a difference either by changing things or by being like the old Testament prophets. There was always somebody who was speaking up. Even if people didn't listen to them, there was at least somebody who said, we're not going to just sit by and let bad things happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm really encouraged by what you're doing and I hope that we can continue to support you and, and then creates maybe a, a movement. And, and connect people who are, are like-minded. All right. So you guys want to um, close out with anything? We just want to thank you for having us on. Um, it's shocking, sadly, to, to see a Baptist pastor who actually cares enough to try to actively help us and isn't just sending us a, well, yeah, that's horrible. God bless kind of email in response to, to us asking for some assistance with this. So thank you so much for having us on and for, for caring enough to hear us out.
I'm glad to help. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having us. And like Anna said, I am honestly shocked just by everything you've said and how um, amazing and helpful it is. Um, because like Anna was saying, when I think of Baptist pastors, I haven't had that type of interaction in the past. So your words and your helpfulness has been really encouraging. And now I'm going to sound like a broken record, but again, thank you so much. And and like they said, it, it honestly has been shocking um, just because this last year, you know, bringing this up to so many Baptist pastors and, you know, that was what I was raised in and having so many of them tell me that I must not be a Christian because I was having these issues was just, you know, really hard on me um, in my faith. Um, but, you know, I stuck through and seeing pastors like you who are actually, you know, willing to listen to people and to support people, um, you know, and bring bring these kind of issues to light is just, uh, it feels really good um, to know that I am in a faith that actually does care, that there are true Christians out there who are actually going to push for equality and fairness. Uh, I appreciate the encouragement, guys. I'm trying to follow in the tradition of Baptist pastors like Martin Luther King Jr., who no one ever talks about the fact that he was a Baptist. All the white Baptists are overshadowing him. Like all the Jerry Falwells out there are taking the name away. So trying to follow in the other Baptist tradition, which is people who uh, stood up for others. All right. Um, I appreciate you guys. I hope we can stay connected in the future and see some, some traction on this. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice. 